You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, welcome to the tribe. How are we doing today? Good. Good to see you guys today, and uh, certainly we're grateful for those that paid the ultimate sacrifice, you know, and paid the price uh, for our freedom in the physical realm in our country, and today we're continuing and wrapping up our series on counterfeit, on uh, rather uh, emotional health and the demonic. We're going to be talking about counterfeit spirituality, and throughout this entire series, I've referenced a guy, Dr. Richard Gallagher. He's an Ivy League trained, board uh, certified uh, uh, psychiatrist. He teaches at Columbia University as well as New York Medical College. Um, and he is a guy for over 25 years. He's worked with Catholic priests to help them see the difference between mental illness in some cases and real life demon possession and exorcisms uh, in other situations. And so what was interesting to me was how would, how would this guy who's a board-certified psychiatrist who teaches it, uh, at a university level get involved in exorcisms. Well, some years ago, he was working with a local priest and doing a ministry session with a woman by the name of Julia. Um, that's not her real name, but Julia was involved in a counterfeit spirituality, the occult and Satanism. And in this encounter, uh, Dr. Gallagher observed things flying off the walls in this session. Uh, He thought it was strange that Julia would know detailed things about his life that she couldn't have known. She knew that uh, Dr. Gallagher's mom had died of ovarian cancer. Um, Julia knew that Dr. Gallagher's cats the night before their session had gone berserk and started fighting with each other. And then when uh, Dr. Gallagher and the local priest were having a conversation over the phone about the sessions with Julia, they heard one of the dark voices that had manifest through her come over the phone lines, right? And so he's pretty freaked out by this and has dealt with many um, people who have come through Satanism over the years. And look, uh, I grew up in an environment that was basically Western naturalism, right? I mean, the school systems I grew up in, it's like you believe in what you can see and what you can observe with your eyes. And all this is kind of whack to me. In fact, when I went through, like in ministry school, like I went to college, then I went to seminary. Seminary is just basically a master's degree for pastors. And all through that training, I had one professor who talked about the reality of spiritual war in the demonic realm and all of that. Um, And so the reason I told you that is because I want you to understand that I did not grow up in an environment that was superstitious, that believed in, you know, Bigfoot chupacabras and, you know, and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, But when I was, I guess, in college... I was going to school in one town in college, and then I came home for the summer, and I was doing a summer youth ministry intern at a lo- internship at a local church. And I was working with this youth pastor, and uh, we were engaged in this session with a young man named Alex, and Alex was involved in Satanism. So as we started working with Alex, what we figured out was is that he wasn't for real and wanting help, but he and his coven group that he was involved with would try and infiltrate Christian churches, and they would even sometimes try and kidnap kids and molest them. And we had stopped him from doing this and report him to police uh, on a, a potential kidnapping situation, and so they didn't like us. And I remember during those days in that summer, they would take dead animals 
animals that they had sacrificed in their rituals and throw them on our cars. Um, one night, uh, someone had gotten into my parents' house where I was staying and had taken a hairdryer and turned it on uh, high heat and put it down in a corner where over time it would have started a fire. Luckily, by the grace of God, we found it there, turned it off and all of that. It was a very weird summer for your pastor. And then after the summer internship was over with, I went back to college uh, school and um, I, I kept getting these calls late at night from Satanists kind of harassing me in that. And then I met this guy. I just call him Jesus, Jesus Fish Belt Buckle Guy, okay? Um, have you ever met that guy that wears all those Christian cliche T-shirts, you know? This was him, and he had this belt buckle that was like a Jesus Fish Belt Buckle, you know? And so I just called him Jesus Fish Belt Buckle Guy. And this guy is always asking me if we could get together and pray, um, alone, you know, and I'm, you know, nice person, you know, I'm like, hey, I'll pray with you sometime, but something always got in the way and I could never meet with this dude. So anyways, what I find out later is, is that um, one of the political science professors at our school who used to be in law enforcement was having lunch with his law, one of his law enforcement buddies uh, one day and his friend tells him, we've got one of your preacher boys on surveillance over there. He's actually a drug dealer and a Satanist. Guess who it was? Jesus fish belt buckle guy, okay? It's like freaking me out, okay? Can I just go back to Western naturalism and put my head in the sand and not have to deal with all of this weird stuff, right? And so look, as we talk about this kind of stuff today, um, I want you to understand that some of you are here so that you can be equipped to help people with this type of thing. That's our role here is to equip you to deal with these kinds of things uh, when they come across your path. Um, and I also acknowledge that most people here are probably not into Satanism and the occult, you know, and you need to get out of it, and that's why you're coming here. However, I do want to question some of the forms of spirituality that some of you grew up with. We all realize that we're in a very spiritual world, aren't we? I mean, some of you can remember back in the 80s and 90s when Madonna was the material girl, and now she's the Kabbalah girl, isn't she? And so there are all kinds of spiritual backgrounds represented here in our church and even watching online. Some of you grew up in spiritual environments where you were taught and trained from the Bible about the spiritual realm. Others of you grew up in homes where you didn't have any training on what's going on in the spiritual realm and just were led to believe that nothing exists out there. Uh, others of you just embrace any old kind of spirituality, whatever came along, you know, as long as it seems good, right? Like there's, there's white witches that are good and uh, all of that, and they're just into natural things or whatever, or is it good? Um, so I want to challenge a little bit of that today because of 1 John 4, 1. Look at it with me. John writes in his letter, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but what? Test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so in light of this text and many others that we're going to study today, I want to submit this one simple idea to you, and it's this. Test the spirits with power, perspective, and process. We're going to test the spirits. We'll do this today with power, perspective, and process. Let's first uh, consider the story of a friend of mine that I think represents a lot of people in our church and a lot of people in San Antonio. He came to a place in his life uh, where he was willing to test the spirits. 
and he went back to a time in his life uh, in sessions here at our church. Um, he was thinking back to a time when he had seen something dark, shadowy figure in his room. It scared him. He told his mom. His mom went and told the people at the Catholic church that they were attending at the time, and uh, they came back over. These people from the church came over. They put an egg underneath his bed. Odd thing is, is that uh, that night the egg was raw. The next morning that egg was cooked. And his mom uh, also put a sheet over his face, and she was told by Curindero to spew brandy in his face. She did that. And the problem seemed to stop. You know, the dark, shadowy figure was no longer there. Or was it? Because what happened is not long after that experience, my friend became a raging alcoholic. And he traces many of the spiritual problems that he had years later back to that encounter. And so those of you that are new to San Antonio, you're like, what the heck is a curandero? Okay, well, it's a mystical healers who supposedly remove evil spirits with herbs and rubbing eggs on your body or placing an egg under your bed. Uh, they often urge participants to speak magical chants. And what curanderos do is they, they take bits and pieces of the Bible and mix Christian spirituality with pagan forms of spirituality to supposedly help people. And look, I want to be careful here because your mom and your grandmother aren't evil people, but they are just doing what they were taught to do in these circumstances and situations. And so don't go home and say, Grandma, Satan, come out. Yeah, you know, don't, don't do that to Grandma, okay? Um, she might just smack you with a tortilla or something, but just be, be nice um, there. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, uh, but understand that evil spirits are not afraid of herbs and eggs, okay? They are afraid of the inspired Holy Spirit-filled Word of God. They are afraid of the blood of Jesus and the cross of Christ and the truth of God's Word. And so this exposure to counterfeit spirituality has caused many in our city to be negatively influenced by spiritual reality. So have you ever been to a church where they ask you not to question anything, okay? They didn't like people to question stuff. Well, as Christ followers, we are questioners and we are testers, and we want you to test everything I say up against the scriptures, and we thank you for being open and willing to test your own thoughts, because some of you are willing to come here and doubt your doubts and doubt your skepticism, and uh, others, I want to ask you today to open your mind to test some of the spiritualities that perhaps you've embraced knowingly and unknowingly as you've grown up. Um, so first, let's uh, test the spirits with power with power. Look at Ephesians, what Paul wrote in his classic text about spiritual warfare, chapter 6, verse 10 through 12. He gives a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty what? Power. He goes on to write, put on the, uh, God's armor so that you'll be able to um, stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities and unseen uh, world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places there. And so he says there's a very real war going on. It's spiritual in nature, not physical that we see with our eyes. We have to combat it with very real weapons, but not 
physical weapons, but spiritual weapons like the helmet of salvation, shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? And so it makes me think back to when I was a kid and my dad on this property that was kind of an hour outside of town and We'd go hiking through the woods there, and he would always take his trusty little pistol with him, you know, and we're hiking through the woods and walk down the trail and la, 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 you know, down the trail, just little dude, you know, and uh, I was about, there was a ravine there, and it was a small enough ravine that I could just jump to the other side into this pile of leaves, and my dad puts his hand out, he says, stop, and like, a sheriff on a Western movie, man, he pulls his pistol out. And my dad, who was a marksman in the army, uh, shot three times into that pile of leaves. And then he took a long stick and he fished out of there a cottonmouth, which, by the way, is a poisonous snake um, that I was about to jump on. He, he fishes it out of there. And there are three bullet holes in the head of the snake there. And I'm like, my dad's pretty bad to the bone here. I mean, I wouldn't want to cross him, right? Um, <laughs> so he had ways of dealing with me when I got out of you know, but anyways, uh, we have to learn to skillfully use our weapons, don't we? Um, and he had learned through practice to use his weapon to take out a snake that could have damaged me. And I believe that what God wants to do in some of you today is help you hone your skill, uh, so that you can keep people safe from the spiritual snakes that are in this world. Now, let's look at the, how we test the spirits with perspective. You know, our perspective has changed. I remember when my perspective of this, uh, of a certain thing changed when I was in middle school, and I used to go to the skating rink in middle school. Anybody besides me go skating when you're in middle school? Okay, yeah, and you'll admit it publicly. Okay, so anyways, uh, we used to go, you know, the old couple skate, you know, the disco ball, the whole nine yards, you know, all of it. And so one night, we're standing outside of the skating rink before we're going into our session, the way they did is you'd pay for a certain amount of time at the skating rink where we would go. And we're standing outside waiting, and we're these little goofy middle school guys, you know, and these high school guys from like a rival high school uh, start throwing shade on us, you know, talking trash at us. They're trying to pick a fight. That's what they're trying to do. And you know how it is when you're in middle school and you're like half their size. I think, oh, you're real cool. You know, you're going to pound a middle school dude, you know. Um, but they're talking trash and we're just kind of taking it. Um, when I see through the glass in the lobby of the skating rink, uh, I see my friend Alan Larkin. And I told my friend that was with me, I'm like, hey, there's Alan Larkin. And these big high school guys, you know, that were trying to pick a fight with us, they, you know Alan Larkin? Yeah, we, we hang out, you know? And so anyways, they, they, as soon as they heard Alan Larkin, they're like, see you later, they're out. And what you don't know about Alan Larkin is he's one of those guys that was kind of overdeveloped. Like in like when seventh grade, he looked like he was 25, you know, special forces or something. Like seriously, we were just in awe of how he could use nunchucks, you know, and he could swing those things around and everything. It was so impressive. And so if you can use nunchucks, that's the certain way to get all middle school guys to, you know, respect you. And he loved to fight too. And he seldom lost fights. And so when those guys heard that we knew Alan Larkin, they heard that name and they just got out of there. I'm kind of like, when I realized that my perspective changed, did it? I'm like, guys, come back. Let's talk. Let's hang out, right? Um, let's go talk to Alan and see what happens here. And that's what happens in the spiritual realm. Um, I could go on and on and on and tell stories I don't have time to tell about his name. But look at how the disciples figured it out when they were being trained by Jesus in Luke 10, 17. It says, uh, when the 72 disciples returned, 
they joyfully reported to him, Jesus, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your what? Your name, the name of Jesus. Yes, he told them. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them, which, by the way, that's spiritually speaking. That's not like real snakes that we're going to handle in church, okay? So you'll have to go to the Appalachian Mountains for that kind of a church. But uh, he says, nothing will injure you, but don't, look at this, but don't. Don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. You see what Jesus is doing there? He's creating this balance between, yeah, sure, Jesus' name, you have power and you have authority over all the demonic realm because of Jesus' name, but don't get too uppity about it, you know? You really need to rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And I gotta tell you, I cringe sometimes when I hear well-meaning Christians like talk trash about the devil and they say, I'm a demon slayer. Better watch out, Satan, I just woke up. You know, you hear this kind of stuff? Because if you get too uppity about it and too prideful about your position in Christ, what happens is you could end up like the seven sons of Sceva, who they used Jesus' name, and those demons said, look, we know about Jesus. We heard of Paul, but we don't know who you are. And they beat their butts down. It's what happened. See, look at how Jude kind of warns us um, about spiritual pride and spiritual warfare in Jude 8 and 9. He talks about these false prophets. They were ungodly people. They pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and look at this next part, heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him or slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And I think that's a good line there, don't you? The Lord rebuke you, right? It's his power that rebukes you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. And the very things that they do understand by instinct as irrational animals do will destroy them. And so I think we need to speak softly but carry a big stick, all right? So it's we do have power and authority, but go into those encounters with humility um, of the spirit. So next, let's look at testing the spirits with process. We've seen that we have power over them. We have these weapons that are powerful in the spiritual realm. We have a new perspective because of Jesus' name. But now we have, we, and we follow a process. Now, there's this story in uh, Mark 9 we'll look at today that about this guy, this little kid, he had a demon spirit on him. And the disciples were all fired up about their new, newfound power to cast out demons, right? And they roll up on this kid, and his dad's there, and the dad's real upset, at, like parents are when their kid has a demon, right? Uh, and the demon caused this kid not to be able to talk um, and caused all kind of problems in his life and uh, was wreaking havoc in this kid's life. And the disciples tried to cast it out, and, you know, nothing happened. Didn't work out for him. And so they're kind of embarrassed by this because they were demon slayers after all, right? Uh, and nothing happens here. They weren't able to cast the demon out of this kid. So they kind of walk off with their tail between their legs and they're debriefing with Jesus later and look at how the conversation goes in Mark 9, 28. It says, afterwards, Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples and they asked him, why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? And so there was something wrong in their process that kept them 
from understanding how to deal with this particular kind of spirit. And so I realized this back in the mid-2000s when uh, I was assisting another counselor pastor in dealing with a young woman who was dealing with satanic ritual abuse. Uh, Her name is Crystal, and Crystal had grown up in a home where her dad was a Bear County Sheriff's officer, and he was also a closet Satanist and had her being ritually abused. Her grandfather, Crystal's grandfather, was actually a Baptist pastor at a small Baptist church on the south side of San Antonio, and they had a secret room in this small Baptist church where they would do satanic sacrifices on the church communion table, okay? So how did she get out of this? Well, one day, thank God for her Christian school teacher, because Crystal was, a, she was just so fed up with the abuse and just would do anything to get out of it, uh, that she told her Christian school teacher, and her school teacher called the authorities. They arrested Crystal's dad, put him in prison. I believe he's in prison to this day. Uh, the grandfather was kind of older, and he ended up dying, passing away. Um, and so after all this had transpired, she came to get help from this counselor, pastor, friend of mine, and I was doing the assist there. And uh, she got free and, uh, you know, just had such a great new life. Uh, Crystal has gotten married. She's changed her name for her own protection. She lives in another city now, another place, doing what she loves to do. Um, Now, you heard her story in a nutshell, because I only have a limited amount of time to tell you Crystal's story. Um, But what you don't see from this story is all the detail associated with it and all the process that it took to get her to the place of freedom that she's at today. See, you just hear the highlights here because of time. But I'm telling you, it took us years to get Crystal to a place of healing and freedom and it wasn't just this one counselor pastor, but I uh, came and helped, and there were several others, a team of us. Sometimes we had to tag in and out to help her, and one would get worn out, and then another would tag in and help over the years. And I think sometimes what happens is we read these Bible stories where certainly Jesus can cast out a demon in an instant, and sometimes we have encounters where we are able to deal with someone in just a moment. But I think that we read the Bible through the wrong lens sometimes. We don't see it as a process, but we see it as a lightning bolt that just hits in a moment. And most of the freedom that people go through takes a long process here. In fact, you can see even in this story in uh, Mark 9, Jesus had a process that he was going through. It's not an exhaustive process, and the process can change, and you have to be open to the Spirit's movement. But look at step one. Jesus had a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. Uh, Mark nine twenty nine. this kind only comes out by much prayer, and some translations will tack on and fasting because it was assumed in that day that fasting always went with prayer. And oftentimes you'll find that if you're in the midst of a fast, you are more prepared for uh, a spiritual war fair encounter. That's why I'm trying not to fast anymore because I don't want to deal with it. But anyways, look at number two. Jesus confirmed belief in this situation. He confirmed belief. He said in Mark 9, 19, you unbelieving generation. See, and look at what else he says to this dad here in Mark 9, 22. The dad says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus Everything is possible for one who does what? 
believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And I think that's a really honest and great prayer, don't you? Because it's like, there are times I don't know what to do. um, And I'm trying to believe. But Lord, will you please help my unbelief there? And he helps you and fills you. Look at number three. Jesus explored the person's past. He explored the boy's past. In uh, verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. And, you know, this boy probably experienced something traumatic in his childhood that gave more power to this demonic spirit that had affected him even up uh, to this point. And, you know, the counselor pastor that I worked with uh, on Crystal, um, she explained to me as I kind of texted with her a little bit this past week, she explained to me that when someone has been harmed as a child and been through something traumatic, it can take between five and ten years of process in order to get to a place of freedom, healing, normalcy, see? And that's why I want to encourage some of you today who have gone through very painful things as children, stick with the process, stick with coming to church and hearing the word of God taught and the worship that'll help you feel more normal and feel freedom and health spiritually. Stick with your spiritual tribes that you're involved with here at the church. You know, your smaller group of people that's praying for you. You know, stick with your recovery process. If you decide to go through, peel the onion at some point in your life, stick with it because it takes time. See, and some people give up because they're expecting magic, not biblical spirituality. You know what I'm saying by that? Some people just want to shazam or they want someone to smack them on the forehead and knock them backwards or something in church when really in the long run that may not help them. Can God do it in a moment? Sure he can, but most of the time it takes a a process here. But look at the fourth thing that Jesus does. He says, uh, Jesus identified the spirit by name. And in the medical field, we have to diagnose things and give them a name so that we know how to treat them. And in verse 25, Jesus, he rebuked the impure spirit and he named it. He said, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And so could you name something that's giving you trouble in the spiritual realm right now? And as we consider counterfeit spirituality, maybe you need to name something today that is giving you trouble. And, you know, one of the things that came to my mind as I uh, uh, came up to give the message today is that if you read through Acts, you would see one story where this group of people, um, they had to get rid of their occult books and objects that gave right to dark and demonic spirits in their life. And so do an inventory of your home if you're having problems in the books that you have or um, maybe some object and just pray through and say, God, by your spirit, just give me the jeebs about this if it's wrong, if it's negative. And God, by his spirit, will give you an uneasiness about certain things or objects in your home that may need to be tossed in the trash and gotten rid of. And so I want you to think just for a minute. And as we go to the Lord in prayer, before we deal with any kind of counterfeit spiritualities, as we know, it doesn't do any good to deal with those things if we don't have power over them by the cross, if we've not begun a relationship with Jesus. So we begin, remember, with belief. And if you'd like to choose to believe right now, here's what I'd like you to do. Just 
talk to God in your own heart and just say something like this. Look, God, I know I've sinned. I know it. I confess it. And right now, the best I understand it, I choose to believe. Lord, help my unbelief. Help me with that. By your spirit. I choose to believe that Jesus not only died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, but Jesus rose again from the dead, literally, to give me new life. Thank you for coming into my life, God. Thank you so much. And as we continue in prayer, you may just want to say something like this. Be willing to question and test and say, Heavenly Father, please bring to mind any way that I have honored the enemy and given a foothold and dishonored you. And with a a humble heart, ask God by his spirit, would you reveal to me any of these practices that have been somehow connected with counterfeit spirituality? Now, as we continue in an attitude of prayer, you can open your eyes and look up on screen because I'm going to put a lot of practices that we've seen over the years that have given influence to the demonic in people's lives. And um, look, I understand that some of you may not agree with me on some of these practices. I hope we can still be friends and tolerant of each other. Um, But we've just seen through practice and experience over the years that these have caused a negative effect on people in the spiritual realm. So have you ever participated in willfully or unwillfully spirit guides, horoscopes, new age spirituality, Kabbalah, Curinderos, Santeria, Scientology, out-of-body experiences, channeling, talking to the dead, spells, curses, occult games, divination, voodoo, witchcraft, astral projection where you're projecting your soul outside your body, or palm readers, tarot cards, paganism, or fortune tellers. If you ever participated in any of this, maybe you do want to pray the prayer that we're going to put up on screen and just kind of speak it in like a whispered tone so you don't draw a lot of attention to yourself. Say, Heavenly Father, I confess participating in a counterfeit spirituality. And then stop at that point. Maybe just whisper out, name it. I renounce it as a counterfeit. And I pray, God, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I may be guided by you. Thank you that in Christ I'm forgiven. And as we're forgiven and God by his spirit is setting people free, I think it'd be appropriate at this point for us to out loud speak together some declarations of our identity that are based on the truth. So let's say this first one out loud. You ready? Here we go. The evil one has no right to me. I have authority over demons. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I have on the full armor of God. The enemy must flee from me. And so now that we've made these declarations in the spiritual realm, one of the things that I had a sense about after the last service is that a lot of you are being spiritually attacked recently. You know, you're not manifesting Marilyn Manson and your head's not spinning around or anything weird like that, but weird things are happening in your lives and your finances. You're having an unusual sense of temptation that you just don't understand. Maybe it's a physical ailment. And some of those things could be coming from the demonic realm. They're attacking you, 
trying to rob you of your best life possible. And so we're going to open up the front carpets, you know, for prayer, where we're going to ask you if you'd like to, to literally walk down and kneel and pray and ask God by His Spirit to bind these things, cast them away. You may not be praying for yourself, but there may be someone else in your life that's struggling and you feel like their struggle may be a spiritual warfare related issue and you want to come and kneel and pray for them on their behalf or pray for yourself or for your family or for something going on in your office, neighborhood or your school. And what we're going to do as we come to the Lord in prayer, doing spiritual warfare kind of praying, is that we're not looking at the enemy, the counterfeit. The way you know the counterfeit is you look at the real. And we're gonna focus in on he who is real, he who is right, he who is the truth, Jesus. And as we focus in on him, you know what he does? He takes care of it. He knows how to take care of it. And so if you'd like to, let's go ahead and stand together. And if you're comfortable to do so, you'd like to come and kneel and pray about something in your own life or in the life of someone else, come and do so now. And let's worship our good Lord Jesus. We thank you that whatever we can think about you, whatever we can wrap our heads and hearts around, that you're like better than that. <laughs> and we thank you that you're like blowing up the boxes that have been spiritually around us about you. And it is, this is so not about casting out demons as much as it is getting more of you. And so we just thank you that when we like get into your presence and connect with you, that everything takes care of itself. So we thank you for it. Thank you for the gentle and kind and loving freedom that you're bringing to people's souls all across this room, all across this place today. We love you and thank you for it. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.